0: Chapter Seventeen of When Knighthood Was in Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Carstens. When Knighthood Was in Flower by Charles Major. Chapter Seventeen The Elopement. whatever the king might think i knew lord wolseley would quickly enough guess the truth when he heard that the princess was missing and would have a party in pursuit the runaways however would have at least twenty-four hours the start and a ship leaves no tracks when mary left me she was perhaps two-thirds of a league from the rendezvous and night was rapidly falling as her road lay through a dense forest all the way she would have a dark lonely ride of a few minutes and i was somewhat uneasy for that part of the journey it had been agreed if everything was all right at the rendezvous mary should turn loose her horse which had always been stabled at berkeley castle and would quickly trot home to further emphasize her safety a thread would be tied in his forelock the horse took his time in returning and did not arrive until the second morning after the flight but when he came i found the thread and unobserved removed it i quickly took it to jane who has it yet and cherishes it for the mute message of comfort it brought her in case the horse should not return i was to find a token in a hollow tree near the place of meeting but the thread in the forelock told us our friends had found each other when we left the castle mary wore under her riding habit a suit of man's attire and as we rode along she would shrug her shoulders and laugh as if it were a huge joke and by the most comical little pantomime call my attention to her unusual bulk so when she found brandon the only change necessary to make a man of her was to throw off the riding habit and pull on the jack boots and slouch hat both of which brandon had with him they wasted no time you may be sure and were soon under way in a few minutes they picked up the two bristol men who were to accompany them and when night had fairly fallen left the bypass and took the main road leading from london to bath and bristol the road was a fair one that is it was well defined and there was no danger of losing it in fact there was more danger of losing oneself in its fathomless mud-holes and quagmires Brandon had recently passed over it twice, and had made mental note of the worst places, so he hoped to avoid them. Soon the rain began to fall in a soaking drizzle, then the lamps of twilight went out, and even the shadows of night were lost among themselves in blinding darkness. It was one of those black nights fit for witch-travelling, and no doubt every witch in England was out brewing mischief the horse's hoofs sucked and splashed in the mud with a sound that mary thought might be heard at land's end and the hoot of an owl now and then disturbed by a witch would strike upon her ear with a volume of sound infinitely disproportionate to the size of any owl she had ever seen or dreamed of before brandon wore our cushion the great cloak and had provided a like one of suitable proportions for the princess this came in good play as her fine gentleman's attire would be but poor stuff to turn water the wind which had arisen with just enough force to set up a dismal wail gave the rain a horizontal slant and drove it in at every opening the flaps of the comfortable great cloak blew back from mary's knees and she felt many a chilling drop through her fine new silk trunks that made her wish for buckram in their place soon the water began to trickle down her legs and find lodgment in the jack-boots and as the rain and wind came in tremulous little whirs she felt wretched enough she who had always been so well sheltered from every blast now and then mud and water would fly up into her face striking usually in the eyes or mouth and then again her horse would stumble and almost throw her over his head as he sank knee-deep into some unexpected hole all of this with the thousand and one noises that broke the still worse silence of the inky night soon began to work upon her nerves and make her fearful the road was full of dangers aside from stumbling horses and broken necks for many were the stories of murder and robbery committed along the route they were travelling. It is true they had two stout men, and all were armed, yet they might easily come upon a party too strong for them, and no one could tell what might happen, thought the princess. There was that pitchy darkness through which she could hardly see her horse's head, a thing of itself that seemed to have infinite powers for mischief, and which no amount of argument ever induced any normally constituted woman to believe was the mere negative absence of light, and not a terrible entity potent for all sorts of mischief then that wailing howl that rose and fell betimes no wind ever made such a noise she felt sure there were those shining white gleams which came from the little pools of water on the road looking like dead men's faces upturned and pale perhaps they were water and perhaps they were not mary had all confidence in brandon but that very fact operated against her Having that confidence and trust in him, she felt no need to waste her own energy in being brave, so she relaxed completely and had the feminine satisfaction of allowing herself to be thoroughly frightened. Is it any wonder Mary's gallant but womanly spirit sank low in the face of all those terrors? She held out bravely, however, and an occasional clasp from Brandon's hand under cover of darkness comforted her. When all those terrors would not suggest even a thought of turning back, you may judge of the character of this girl and her motive they travelled on galloping when they could trotting when they could not gallop and walking when they must at one time they thought they heard the sound of following horses and hastened on as fast as they dared go until stopping to listen and hearing nothing they concluded they were wrong about eleven o'clock however right out of the black bank of night in front of them they heard in earnest the sucking splash of horses hoofs in an instant the sound ceased and the silence was worse than the noise the cry hello brought them all to a stand and mary thought her time had come both sides shouted who comes there to which there was a simultaneous and eager answer a friend and each party passed its own way only too glad to be rid of the other after this they rode on as rapidly as they dared and about midnight arrived at the inn where the relay of horses was awaiting them the inn was a rambling old thatched roof structure half mud half wood and all filth there are many inns in england that are tidy enough but this one was a little off the main road selected for that reason and the uncleanness was not the least of mary's trials that hard night she had not tasted food since noon and felt the keen hunger natural to youth and health such as hers after twelve hours of fasting and eight hours of riding her appetite soon overcame her repugnance and she ate with a zest that was new to her the humblest fare that had ever passed her lips one often misses the zest of life's joys by having too much of them one must want a thing before it can be appreciated a hard ride of five hours brought our travellers to bath which place they rode around just as the sun began to gild the tiled roofs and steeples and another hour brought them to bristol the ship was to sail at sunrise but as the wind had died out with the night there was no danger of its sailing without them soon the gates opened and the party rode to the Bowen string where brandon had left their chests the men were then paid off quicksail was made of the horses breakfast was served and they started for the wharf with their chests following in the hands of four porters a boat soon took them aboard the royal hind and now it looked as if their daring scheme so full of improbability as to seem impossible had really come to a successful issue from the beginning i think it had never occurred to mary to doubt the result there had never been with her even a suggestion of possible failure unless it was that evening in our room when prompted by her startled modesty she had said she could not bear for us to see her in the trunk hose now that fruition seemed about to crown her hopes she was happy to her heart's core and when once to herself wept for sheer joy it is little wonder she was happy she was leaving behind no one whom she loved excepting jane and perhaps me no father nor mother only a sister whom she barely knew and a brother whose treatment of her had turned her against him she was also fleeing with the one man in all the world for her and from a marriage that was literally worse than death brandon on the other hand had always had more desire than hope the many chances against success had forced upon him a haunting sense of certain failure which one would think should have left him now it did not however and even when on shipboard with a score of men at the windlass ready to heave anchor at the first breath of wind it was as strong as when mary first proposed their flight sitting in the window on his great cloak both were without doubt but with this difference mary had never doubted success Brandon had never doubted failure. He had a keen analytical faculty that gave him truthfully the chances for and against, and in this case they were overwhelmingly unfavourable. Such hope as he had been able to distill out of his desire was sadly dampened by an ever-present premonition of failure, which he could not entirely throw off too keen an insight for the truth often stands in a man's way and too clear a view of an overwhelming obstacle is apt to paralyse effort hope must always be behind a hearty endeavour our travellers were of course greatly in need of rest so mary went to her room and brandon took a berth in the cabin set apart for the gentlemen they had both paid for their passage although they had enlisted and were part of the ship's company They were not expected to do sailors' work, but would be called upon in case of fighting, to do their part at that. Mary was probably as good a fighter, in her own way, as one could find in a long journey, but how she was to do her part with sword and buckler, Brandon did not know. That, however, was a bridge to be crossed when they should come to it. They had gone aboard about seven o'clock, and Brandon hoped the ship would be well down Bristol Channel before he should leave his berth but the wind that had filled mary's jack-boots with rain and had howled so dismally all night long would not stir now that it was wanted noon came yet no wind and the sun shone as placidly as if captain charles brandon were not fuming with impatience on the poop of the royal hind three o'clock and no wind the captain said it would come with night but sundown was almost at hand and no wind yet brandon knew this meant failure if it held a little longer for he was certain the king with wolseley's help would long since have guessed the truth brandon had not seen the princess since morning and the delicacy he felt about going to her cabin made the situation somewhat difficult after putting it off from hour to hour in hope that she would appear of her own accord he at last knocked at her door and of course found the lady in trouble The thought of the princess going on deck caused a sinking at his heart every time it came, as he felt it was impossible to conceal her identity. He had not seen her in her new male attire, for when she threw off her riding habit on meeting him the night before, he had intentionally busied himself about the horses, and saw her only after the great cloak covered her as a gown. He felt that however well her garments might conceal her form, no man on earth ever had such beauty in his face as transcendent eyes rose into cheeks and coral lips with their cluster of dimples and his heart sank at the prospect she might hold out for a while with a straight face but when the smiles should come it were just as well to hang a placard about her neck this is a woman the telltale dimples would be worse than jane for outspoken untimely truthfulness and trouble-provoking candor Upon entering, Brandon found Mary wrestling with the problem of her complicated male attire, the most beautiful picture of puzzled distress imaginable. The port was open and showed her rosy as the morn when she looked up at him. The jackboots were in a corner, and her little feet seemed to put up a protest all their own against going into them that ought to have softened every peg. She looked up at Brandon with a half-hearted smile then threw her arms about his neck and sobbed like the child that she was. "'Do you regret coming, Lady Mary?' asked Brandon, who, now that she was alone with him, felt that he must take no advantage of the fact to be familiar. "'No, no, not for one moment. I am glad, only too glad. But why do you call me Lady? You used to call me Mary. I don't know, perhaps because you are alone.' "'Ah, that is good of you, but you need not be quite so respectful.' the matter was settled by mute but satisfactory arbitration and brandon continued you must make yourself ready to go on deck it will be hard but it must be done he helped her with the heavy jack boots and handed her the rain-stained slouch hat which she put on and stood a complete man ready for the deck that is as complete as could be evolved from her utter femininity when brandon looked at her over all hope went out of him It seemed that every change of dress only added to her bewitching beauty by showing it in a new phase. It will never do. There is no disguising you. What is it that despite everything shows so unmistakably feminine? What shall we do? I have it. You shall remain here under the pretense of illness until we are well at sea, and then I will tell the captain all. It is too bad, and yet I would not have you one whit less a woman for all the world. A man loves a woman who is so thoroughly womanly that nothing can hide it. Mary was pleased at his flattery, but disappointed at the failure in herself. She had thought that surely these garments would make a man of her, in which the keenest eye could not detect a flaw. They were discussing the matter when a knock came at the door with the cry, "'All hands on deck for inspection?' "'Inspection! Jesus! Mary would not safely endure it a minute." brandon left her at once and went to the captain my lord is ill and begs to be excused from deck inspection he said bradhurst a surly old half pirate of the saltiest pattern answered ill then he had better go ashore as soon as possible i will refund his money we cannot make a hospital out of the ship if his lordship is too ill to stand inspection see that he goes ashore at once this last was addressed to one of the ship's officers who answered with the usual aye aye sir and started for mary's cabin that was worse than ever and brandon quickly said he would have his lordship up at once he then returned to mary and after buckling on her sword and belt they went on deck and climbed up the poop ladder to take their places with those entitled to stand aft Brandon has often told me since that it was as much as he could do to keep back the tears when he saw Mary's wonderful effort to appear manly. It was both comical and pathetic. She was a princess to whom all the world bowed down, yet that did not help her here. After all, she was only a girl, timid and fearful, following at Brandon's heels frightened lest she should get out of arm's reach of him among those rough men and longing with all her heart to take his hand for moral as well as physical support it must have been both laughable and pathetic in the extreme that miserable sword persisted in tripping her and the jackboots, so much too large evinced an alarming tendency to slip off with every step how insane we all were not to have foreseen this from the very beginning it must have been a unique figure she presented climbing up the steps at Brandon's heels, jackboots and all. So unique was it that the sailors working in the ship's waist stopped their tasks to stare in wonderment, and the gentlemen on the poop made no effort to hide their amusement. Old Bradhurst stepped up to her. "'I hope your lordship is feeling better,' and then, surveying her from head to foot with a broad grin on his features, i declare you look the picture of health if i ever saw it how old are you mary quickly responded fourteen years fourteen returned bradhurst well i don't think you will shed much blood you look more like a deuced handsome girl than any man i ever saw at this the men all laughed and were very impertinent in the free and easy manner of such gentry most of whom were professional adventurers with every finer sense dulled and debased by years of vice these fellows half of them tipsy now gathered about mary to inspect her personally each on his own account their looks and conduct were very disconcerting but they did nothing insulting until one fellow gave her a slap on the back accompanying it by an indecent remark brandon tried to pay no attention to them but this was too much so he lifted his arm and knocked the fellow off the poop into the waist the man was back in a moment and swords were soon drawn and clicking away at a great rate the contest was brief however as the fellow was no sort of match for brandon who with his old trick quickly twisted his adversary sword out of his grasp and with a flash of his own blade flung it into the sea The other men were now talking together at a little distance in whispers, and in a moment one drunken brute shouted, It is no man, it is a woman. Let us see more of her. Before Brandon could interfere, the fellow had unbuckled Mary's doublet at the throat, and, with a jerk, had torn it half off, carrying away the sleeve and exposing Mary's shoulder, almost throwing her to the deck. He waved his trophy on high, but his triumph was short-lived for almost instantly it fell to the deck and with it the offending hand severed at the wrist by brandon's sword three or four friends of the wounded man rushed upon brandon whereupon mary screamed and began to weep which of course told the whole story a great laugh went up and instantly a general fight began several of the gentlemen seeing brandon attacked by such odds took up his defence and within twenty seconds all were on one side or the other every mother's son of them fighting away like mad devils like very devils the sex must generate mischief in some unknown manner and throw it off as the sun throws off its heat however jane is an exception to that rule if it is a rule the officers soon put a stop to this lively little fight and took brandon and mary who was weeping as any right-minded woman would "'down into the cabin for consultation. "'With a great oath, Bradhurst exclaimed, "'It is plain enough that you have brought a girl on board under false colours, "'and you may as well make ready to put her ashore. "'You see what she has already done, "'a hand lost to one man and wounds for twenty others, "'and she was on deck less than five minutes. "'Heart of God!' At that rate she would have the ship at the bottom of Davy Jones's locker before we could sail half down the channel. You see how quickly and completely one woman, without the slightest act on her part, except a modest effort to be let alone, had set the whole company by the ears, cutting and slashing away at each other like the very devil. Did you expect Captain Brandon to stand back and not defend me when that wretch was tearing my garments off? Captain Brandon, did you say? asked Bradhurst, with his hat off instantly. "'Yes,' answered that individual. "'I shipped under an assumed name, for various reasons, and desire not to be known.' "'You will do well to keep my secret.' "'Do I understand that you are Master Charles Brandon, the King's friend?' asked Bradhurst. "'I am,' was the answer." then sir i must ask your pardon for the way you have been treated we of course could not know it but a man must expect trouble when he attaches himself to a woman it is a wonder the flashes from mary's eyes did not strike the old sea dog dead he however did not see them and went on we are more than anxious that so valiant a knight as sir charles brandon should go with us and hope your reception will not drive you back but as to the lady you see already the result of her presence as much as we want you we cannot take her aside from the general trouble which a woman takes with her everywhere mary would not even look at the creature on shipboard there is another and greater objection it is said you know among sailors that a woman on board draws bad luck to certain sorts of ships and every sailor would desert before we could weigh anchor if it were known this lady was to go with us should they find it out in mid-ocean a mutiny would be sure to follow and god only knows what would happen for her sake if for no other reason take her ashore at once brandon saw only too plainly the truth that he had really seen all the time but to which he had shut his eyes and throwing mary's cloak over her shoulders prepared to go ashore As they went over the side and pulled off, a great shout went up from the ship, far more derisive than cheering, and the men at the oars looked at each other askance and smiled. What a predicament for a princess! Brandon cursed himself for having been such a knave and a fool as to allow this to happen. He had known the danger all the time, and his act could not be chargeable to ignorance or a failure to see the probable consequences. Temptation and a selfish desire had given him temerity in place of judgment. He had attempted what none but an insane man would have tried, without even the pitiable excuse of insanity. He had seen it all only too clearly from the very beginning, and he had deliberately and with open eyes brought disgrace, ruin, and death, unless he could escape upon himself an utter humiliation to her whom his love should have prompted him to save at all cost if mary could only have disguised herself to look like a man they might have succeeded but that little if was larger than paul's church and blocked the road as completely as if it had been a word of twenty syllables when the princess stepped ashore it seemed to her as if the heart in her breast was a different and separate organ from the one she had carried aboard as the boat put off again for the ship its crew gave a cheer coupled with some vile advice for which brandon would gladly have run them through each and every one he had to swallow his chagrin and anger and really blamed no one but himself though it was torture to him that this girl should be subjected to such insults and he powerless to avenge them the news had spread from the wharf like wildfire, and on their way back to the bow and string there came from small boys and hidden voices such exclamations as, "'Look at that woman in man's clothing! Isn't he a beautiful man? Look at him blush!' and others too coarse to be repeated. Imagine the humiliating situation from which there was no escape. At last they reached the inn, whither their chest soon followed them, sent by Bradhurst, together with their passage money which he very honestly refunded mary soon donned her woman's attire of which she had a supply in her chest and at least felt more comfortable without the jack boots she had made her toilet alone for the first time in her life having no maid to help her and wept as she dressed for this disappointment was like plucking the very heart out of her her hope had been so high that the fall was all the harder Nay, even more, hope had become fruition to her when they were at once a shipboard, and failure right at the doors of success made it doubly hard to bear. It crushed her, and where before had been hope and confidence was nothing now but despair. Like all people with a great capacity for elation, when she sank she touched the bottom. Alas! Mary, the unconquerable, was down at last. This failure meant so much to her, it meant that she would never be Brandon's wife, but would go to France to endure the dreaded old Frenchman. At that thought, a recoil came. Her spirit asserted itself, and she stamped her foot and swore upon her soul it should never be, never, never, so long as she had strength to fight or voice to cry, No! The thought of this marriage and the loss of Brandon was painful enough, but there came another, entirely new to her, and infinitely worse. Hastily arranging her dress, she went in search of Brandon, whom she quickly found, and took to her room. After closing the door, she said, "'I thought I had reached the pinnacle of disappointment and pain when compelled to leave the ship, for it meant that I should lose you and have to marry Louis of France.' but I have found that there is still a possible pain more poignant than either, and I cannot bear it. So I come to you, you who are the great cure for all my troubles. Oh, that I could lay them here all my life long! And she put her head upon his breast, forgetting what she had intended to say. What is the trouble, Mary? Oh, yes, I thought of that marriage and of losing you, and then, oh! "'Mary, Mother, I thought of some other woman having you two herself. "'I could see her with you, and I was jealous, I think they call it. "'I have heard of the pangs of jealousy, "'and if the fear of a rival is so great, what would the reality be? "'It would kill me. I could not endure it. "'I cannot endure even this, and I want you to swear that.' "'Brandon took her in his arms as she began to weep. I will gladly swear by everything I hold sacred that no other woman than you shall ever be my wife. If I cannot have you, be sure you have spoiled every other woman for me. There is but one in all the world, but one. I can at least save you that pain. She then stood on tiptoes to lift her lips to him and said, I give you the same promise. How must you have suffered when you thought I was to wed another? after a pause she went on but it might have been worse that is it would be worse if you should marry some other woman but that is all settled now and i feel easier then i might have married the old french king but that too is settled and we can endure the lesser pain it always helps us when we are able to think it might have been worse her unquestioning faith in brandon was beautiful and she never doubted that he spoke the unalterable truth when he said he would never marry any other woman she had faith in herself too and was confident that her promise to marry no man but brandon ended that important matter likewise and put the french marriage totally out of the question for the all time to come as for brandon he was safe enough in his part of the contract he knew only too well that no woman could approach mary in her inimitable perfections and he had tested his love closely enough in his struggle against it to feel that he had taken up its abode in his heart to stay whether he wanted it or not he knew that he was safe in making her a promise which he was powerless to break all this he fully explained to mary as they sat looking out of the window at the dreary rain which had come on again with the gathering gloom of night brandon did not tell her that his faith in her ultimate ability to keep her promise was as small as it was great in his own neither did he dampen her spirits by telling her that there was a reason outside of himself which in all probability would help him in keeping his word and save her from the pangs of that jealousy she so much feared namely that he would most certainly wed the block and axe should the king get possession of him he might have escaped from england in the royal hind for the wind had come up shortly after they left the ship and they could see the sails indistinctly through the gloom as they got under way But he could not leave Mary alone, and had made up his mind to take her back to London and march straight into the jaws of death with her if the king's men did not soon come. He knew that a debt to folly bears no grace, and was ready with his principle and usance. End of chapter seventeen. Recording by Kate Carstens.